you know, have a party together and celebrate your top 10 in points positions. Thank you. There were no stages, but it means nothing. We're live. Welcome to Money Lap Podcast. I'm Parker Kligman, joined as always by Landon Castle on our podcast about all things motorsports. As always, check out themoneylap.com for the newsletter about all motorsports three times a week. Uh, and before we dive into it, Landon, just to give the listeners and some of the viewers out there on YouTube what they can expect in this episode, we're going to be talking the wild F1 race in the Netherlands and some of the ramifications in that, uh, the wild cup race from Daytona and the Rex, plus what we saw and maybe you didn't from those. There's some Formula E news Obviously, the Xfinity Series was at Daytona as well, and I'm going to tell you what it's like to race at a super speedway with no friends. Kind of felt like I was back in the eighth grade. Uh, <laughs> and, of course, our Cup Series playoff grid predictions. We'll do that at the end, but we start the PR lap, Landon. And uh, some nice feedback on our newsletter. Uh, Jonathan Howe on Twitter said, not going to lie, I haven't had a chance to get to the podcast yet. Well, that's unfortunate. But the newsletter is the most perfect piece of motorsports content. That's very nice. And also, we had some uh, feedback to our polls where they said, great article, links, and concise news roundup in such a busy time in global motorsports, almost like the speed report in email form. That's nice of them. That's cool. I love it. I love yeah. it. You know, yeah. we, we're always talking about the podcast. It's getting so much love, but um, the newsletter is is really some of our finest work, I would say, at the Money Lab. The whole team <laughs> does a really good job, and it's high-quality reads a lot like morning brew uh if you know that it's just focused on global motorsports five minutes or less you can get everything you need to know it's perfect yeah so we didn't get any apple reviews we're at 107 stuck there um i have not lived up to my uh word landon of getting a cameo by the way so uh did you get the cameo did you <laughs> did you get a message from me by chance well i finally did yeah and <laughs> Uh, thank you for calling me out. Thanks to David, our buddy You're there, not David Taylor. Hand. Yeah, I I got it, and we will we'll dive in. I'll do it after this episode. How about that? I'll do it today. Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday, and I'll I'll by Thursday by tomorrow you'll have it. Uh, I think you know what well, I don't. I'm sorry. I know people don't want us to interrupt, but we're gonna let's just play it right now and let's listen to it here because I think you need to get this message. Hey Parker, uh, you know who it is. So uh, I've got a message from one of our best listeners on the Money Lap podcast, David. Daphne, say hi. David wants um, to remind you that we have achieved a hundred, more than a hundred reviews, which means time for you to pay up, time for you to join Cameo, so that the fans can finally get what they want, whatever it may be, selfie videos of you on Cameo. Um, there's a lot that you have to offer, uh, but even more importantly than that, you need to deliver on your word and the promise that you made to the world. So thank you, David, for contributing to this and getting Parker to, you know, be a man of his word. All right. Message well, received. Okay, good. Good. Thank, <laughs> thank you. you. Thank you. <laughs> that was, that was a very long-winded way of saying live up to my word. Um, <laughs> hey, we had on Spotify, we had Wade Barda say, Landon Parker are a great duo. Happy I found this podcast. We're happy you're here as well. Uh, and just some some housekeeping news on last week. We didn't mention it beforehand, but I announced I will be returning to Big Machine Racing in 2024. 
So excited about that to go after an Xfinity Series championship. But we're going to hold off on talking about um, my races or the Xfinity Series because we'll talk about that in the Xfinity Series section in my race specifically later on in the episode. Uh, but, Landon, you know what I did before the race this past weekend because it was like a 7.30 p.m. race? Mm. Yeah, what was it? You took a nap? So, Well, no, I didn't take a nap. But I remember back in February – I was kind of tired doing the truck series race that Friday night. There was like an eight o'clock race. I remember yawning, running like third or something. And I was like, all right, I gotta, I gotta have some caffeine, something to pump me up. So what did I do before this race this past weekend? Where I obviously came in there three points out of the bubble in the playoffs. It was an intense race for us, an intense moment in our season. And I, I approached it mentally, the idea of I wanted to lock in from the lap one. I thought about the super speedway races I had won and said, you know, I was always locked in. So mm-hmm. mentally, in those last 10, 20 laps, I could barely tell you what happened. But I was like, I wonder if I could bring that intensity for 100 laps, for a whole race, and start off on lap one like that. And I was like, that's my goal. That's what I want to do. And I was thinking, though, I was like, what, do I, what can I do to help me get in that mode? And so what popped in my mind? Four Sigmatic, Think Coffee, supposed <laughs> to use, you know, has functional mushrooms to wake up your brain. Well, guess what? That's what I drank before the race. It locked me in, was able to get in there. And finished P4, as I said, we'll talk about it more in detail later, but was it fighting for the win late in the race? I felt mentally sharp the entire time and ready to go. So if you want to try the coffee I drank before this weekend, this past weekend's Daytona race, go to foursigmatic.com, F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com. Use the code MONEYLAP for 15% off. Check out Think Coffee. It's great. And it powered me to Daytona. Um, I had always heard that Dale Earnhardt, um had said that he could he felt himself like exit his his mind kind of Mm. looking at the car from a third perspective when he was in the zone that he couldn't even feel his arms on the wheel that it was like it was like an out-of-body experience when he was in the zone do you think that dale earnhardt senior drank four sigmatic think coffee (laughs) No, and I know he wasn't because I don't think he was around when oh, okay, uh, okay. he was still alive. Um, rest in peace. But you know what? It's the same. So so not to total go on a total tangent, but Ayrton Senna had talked about that, right? When he was in an out-of-body experience driving on Monaco to do that lap that was 1.8 seconds faster. And I think it was also the race that he was leading by a long shot. And then he ended up getting taken out of that subconscious when they asked him to slow down and he, he wrecked while leading and threw away the race at Monaco. And, you know, for me, when I won Talladega in 2017, I remember being in the uh, press room afterwards, and they said to me, they go, you know, hey, what about this move and that move and that sort of thing? And I said, to be honest, I don't remember anything. I was like, I can't tell you exactly every move I made. All I know is every move I made was the right move. And I was like, so in the zone, so... Uh, basically locked in that in that subconscious and there's you know you you know this there's a huge amount of uh data out there for athletes that they, when they talk about going into the zone they're actually sort of in the subconscious because your subconscious yeah. brain can take in so many more bites of info than your conscious the difference between normal people and professional athletes is we can we can perform at a high level in our sport in the conscious but we mm-hmm. all can kind of do the things we're asking to do in our subconscious anyway um I just I felt like you know going to this race. I worked all week on you know telling training myself to just enter that mode, that locked in mode. And I, I'll be honest, there's major portions of the race this weekend. I can't tell you you know what moves I was making. I just knew they were the moves I had to make, and I had to do it. And I just let my brain do it, and they were right. 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's the that's the zone you want to be in. It's the high performance one. So let's talk about about high performance. Let's jump into some of the biggest stuff from around the motorsports world, starting with the return of Formula One from their summer breaks in Ibiza and the south of France and Martin Garrix concerts um, and anywhere <laughs> cool that the drivers were at. And they <laughs> they descended upon the Netherlands, the home of Max Verstappen, where it was a wild affair uh, with rain throughout the weekend on and off. Um and with that, we got a race that involved tire strategy, managing the rain and the dry conditions, and back and forth. Before that happened, uh, Daniel Ricciardo was uh, had a wreck in practice that broke his hand, unfortunately. So uh, Lawson was put in, who was actually pretty quickly up to speed. Um, but you know, this race, when I look at that weekend, it <laughs> once again it presented every opportunity for another team or driver to rise above Max Verstappen, to find a chink in the armor, to to find even a stroke of luck. As I put it, it would take an act of God, you know, to stop Max Verstappen. And they had that, and yet he still won the pole and won the race. <laughs> it's, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, you know, we talk about it, he's half a second faster than the field, which is a lot, right? And if, if a, a race goes smoothly... Um, it's gonna be tough to beat anybody that's fast, you know, that much faster than the next car. But like you said, it, when there's adversity, sometimes those teams, even when they've got the best car, the best driver, by that much, um, they make a little mistake, strategy error, they get stuck behind somebody. Um, you know, they don't they don't change the um, you know when the weather conditions are changing, especially in Formula One, you see that a lot. Um, somebody can leapfrog with a unique strategy, catch them off guard, and it's just not happening. So it's not only are they bringing the best car and best driver to the track, they're just continuing to make the best decisions, uh, which is just unbelievable. Uh, did you see the wreck with Ricciardo? Yeah. Um, did that? I, I kind of want to go back to that for just a second. Was that not kind of weird, the way that happened? Like, was there something on the track? Do you know... Can you kind of describe, I, walk through what happened there and what you think you saw? Obviously, this was all going on on Friday, which I was pretty focused on our stuff, so I didn't mm -hmm. get to dive into it too deeply. Um, but I watched, yeah, I watched the replay, and it just looks like, yeah, like there was something on the racetrack after the McLaren of uh, Oscar Piastri had crashed. Um, but yeah, that was really weird. And the fact that you know, as an open wheel driver, even mm -hmm. a stock car driver, if I'm going head on the wall, I'm getting off the my hands off the wheel. You know, he kind of held on to it. Yeah, like, but it happened so fast, and I feel like he, he, he didn't see the McLaren in front of him spun out, and mm. it, it's like when he went into the corner, it's a you know, it's a left hand turn, basically hairpin corner, but he had to turn right on corner entry at the last second to miss him, mm. and then you can't turn right and then turn back left that hard, and the car's yep. not going to make the turn. You know what I mean? So. It was almost like by turning right and pointing himself at the wall and then having to turn left, it just it it the car didn't want to make the turn and then so then at the same time he's on the brakes and you can't you know yep. braking and turning doesn't do well at the same time. Um, you know what? Well, not to cut you off. Sorry, I was just thinking real quick because you're gonna have a really good thought on this. That corner is high banked left hander. You run up at an awkward angle at the top. What does it remind you of? Oval racing, yeah, but Bristol. 
Bristol, yeah. And what happens yep. at, you know, it's high speed, and what happens at Bristol? There can be a, you could be on the front stretch, the car wrecks off a of turn two, and before you know it, you're in it, right? Because it's like, yeah. you can't see around the corner. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You can't see that far. I mean, with banking, um, actually, one of the first lessons I learned as a teenager racing on high banked racetracks was that when you would go to a high banked racetrack, you couldn't have a tinted windshield like you know how we'll have like mm -hmm. a sun tint on the top of the windshield you know even a streetcar you know you might have like a black stripe at the top of the windshield that'll kind of block the sun or a sun tint when you go to a high banked racetrack especially a high banked short track you can't have as much of a sun tint at the top of your windshield because you're looking higher out of your windshield than you normally would on a flat track where you're looking maybe lower out of the windshield across your hood. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. Is uh, Maybe Danny didn't, didn't have his eyes up. Um, you're going into those corners fast. You know, it's a, it's a higher speed corner but tight because of the banking. So just the reaction time was, was maybe just off just a little bit. So I, I know exactly what you're talking about. That's, yeah, you look up in the top corner sometimes and you're, you're because of, this the angle at which you're going around the racetrack. A bit of controversy in terms of the decisions made by some of the race teams as the weather came upon, you know, more rain came upon the race late. Uh, there was a red flag. They restarted, and most people were on the intermediate tires, even though it got to enough water maybe that I would thought you would want a wet tire. But there's a bit of a thought process with this wet tire in Formula 1 that it is not worth it. It's six to seven seconds a lap slower apparently than the intermediate and if it ever gets to the point where there's enough water that you you're trying to avoid aquaplaning which was what the wet tire is for mm -hmm. it it's they red flagged the race so there was only one car that went to full wets which was uh Esteban Ocon and he was screaming at his Alpine race team being like do not uh you know this was the wrong choice why did we go on these tires that sort of thing he was upset and i i personally had been like i thought that was the right decision and i thought aston martin threw away a chance once again with fernando alonso to get a win when they put on the same tires as max verstappen i was like do something different come on <laughs> but apparently there's you know they're not worth doing it yeah but where he's right is is that still you know making your your own analysis on it is f1 going to you know, are they going to throw the caution for this um, or the red flag for this? That's part of the game, right? You know, NASCAR in NASCAR, we, we consider, you know, red flagging and getting to halfway and, you know, stuff like that, uh, where the weather's at on, if we think NASCAR will call it or not, um, we consider that in our strategies. So I, I can understand what he's talking about where he's saying, what, you know, don't even put me on full wets because if I need full wets, it's, they're going to throw the red anyways. Um, so what's the point? Right. Let me come out. Let me stay out here and try to survive um, or put me on the the what are the, the intermediates. Um, so I, I can I can understand the uh, the frustration there that that and it, and it seems like that's a common thing in in wet weather racing across the board that, you know, I think that racing um, the race stewards everywhere in NASCAR as well. Like, you know, we've, we've had some bad experiences with heavily wet weather racetracks that they are, you know, willing to throw a red flag on a track that looks like it's really flooding or has water moving across it. Parker can't hear you, buddy. <laughs> no, why is me? All right. Well, we got disconnected there. I can't remember what I was saying. So anyway, uh, 
Rain Racing. Oh, I I was saying all the global motorsport series are working on it. Um, so Formula yep. One has tried anti-spray devices to limit the water spray and wet racing. Uh, NASCAR has mud flap sort of things. Sports car racing has been trying some stuff. So a lot of series are yep. working on that to maybe get to where we can do more heavy downpour wet racing. Mm-hmm. Another controversy uh, this week in the world of Formula One, flexi wings. I clamp down on this. So this has <laughs> been a thing in F1 for a very, very long time. From the early 2000s, I can remember onboard shots of a looking back at the front wing or the rear wing and you'd see this car as it goes down the straightaway and starts to hit terminal velocity the wings would bend down and flatten out right at the right point and so you're like wow what is the engineering behind that right well of course it's always been around it will always be around because the teams are going to continually work with materials and that sort of thing to allow these wings to create immense downforce when they want it and then try and flatten out and get as little drag as possible down the straightaways so a bunch of teams, um, the FIA basically clamped down on a bunch of teams this weekend. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think the Aston Martin was one of the ones that was called out on this. And it's always these onboard cameras that <laughs> seem to catch it, right? The most visibly that, that there is. <laughs> Those darn onboard cameras. Um, I love that. That's that's cool stuff. You know, that's the innovation in motorsports that you love seeing. Um, it is cool to see like proprietary components and designs that just are superior. But then, you know, things that are innovative, like uh, what am I trying to say? Interactive with with their environment and innovative. That, that kind of innovation is really cool. We've seen stuff like that that's in NASCAR. That's literally the same thing. You know. I would definitely want to draw draw it back to NASCAR and give our engineers some credit too, because you know in NASCAR we didn't haven't had the luxury of designing our wings and designing our spoilers to be able to build them to do that. We've had to work around the parameters through the years. And back when we had steel bodies on our cars, um, you know we had all kinds of deflections that you would have on the car to manipulate the body at speed, even though it went made it through inspection. So the right side of the car is a really important part of the car. <laughs> that would always be built in such a way that maybe it had bracing that was really brittle and it would go through inspection and the bracing would be solid. But then when you got on the racetrack, even if you were on the grid, you know, maybe the crew chief would walk by the car and kind of beat in, beat into it with his <laughs> knee and break the, you know, the brittle brace so that when you're going 180 miles an hour, it would, it would, compress into the side of the car and create, you know, almost like a spoiler on the side of your car. Um, and then, you know, in the super speedways, NASCAR has always watched the deflection in the spoiler quite a bit. So you'll see in inspection, um, I don't know what they do now with the next gen, but they'd always had kind of like a, um, almost a torque wrench type looking tool where they could measure, you know, make sure the spoiler was strong enough, um, that it wasn't trying to deflect. And then one of my favorite little ones, and this was a pretty well-known one, um, was when when a lot of teams were cutting their wraps and manipulating the vinyl wrap, mm-hmm. the stickers that wrap the car, um, with, you know, just they would cut them and then make a flap open so that when you get up to speed, it would almost peel up. And believe it or not, that actually could create an aero advantage. So. There's all I you know, those are the innovations that are exciting in motorsport and those are the things that are tough when we go when we go all the way back to our common conversation which is um you know should we standardize the race cars and you know cr- cramming down on these rules and stuff it's funny because we love talking about these little innovations but yet we also 
out of the other side of our mouth, we, we slap hands on that stuff and say, we don't want those things to happen. And we want the cars to be equal and fair. And, um, <laughs> you know, it's easy to contradict ourselves, but for today, uh, on the money lab, cause I don't see anything else scheduled on our run of show. We're going to glamorize the innovation, uh, in motorsport <laughs> and, and speak highly about it. I, I know that, you know, I think back to that era, 2018, where you had the Reddit community calling out the nine car at times for some interestingly placed uh, vinyl and tape in areas. And you could see you would have these high def photos. You could see the body just deflecting in areas and (laughs) caving in on the right side. And you're like, you know, the whole, you put it, the whole side of the car becomes a wing at that point. And it's like, how's that thing go around this track? Eight tenths faster than one. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, they'll make a lot of changes puns. between inspection and the racetrack. The worst <laughs> one, uh, the funniest one for me from the driver's perspective was, uh, this happened to me in the cup series and my team said, Hey, you know, when you get into the car, pull this pin on the, uh, on your windshield, uh, brace and, uh, make sure you don't do it. You know, when any officials are looking and, and the wind windshields can deflect a little bit, but it's worth about 30 pounds of downforce. And so I did it, but you know, we were at an intermediate track. We were going 200 miles an hour. The windshield was deflecting so much. It was like, I was like Mr. Magoo looking out my windshield. (laughs) I was like, guys, I really can't. I it's, it's, it's disrupting my vision here. And they're like, well, and that's where they're like, well, it's 30 pounds of downforce. So you either need to figure out how to drive with it. Um, or you're hurting yourself. That I'm like, okay, I guess I'll figure it out. But it would deflect the whole windshield, and then the first like three or four inches of the roof, you know, there was a really thin sheet metal, um, so it was the whole thing was kind of deflected, probably you know a couple inches. Uh, oh my god, <laughs> it's pretty fun. Like it's it's straight up, it's the opposite of the Ricky Bobby, you know, Fig Newtons thing. It's like no, we're actually trying to get performance, but <laughs> can't see, man. Help. Right, right. <laughs> that is, is those are such cool things. What well, you know, we should probably do like a show one day um, of just like, I'd love to get some te- different technical people on here and just talk about those all, across different motorsports, right? The ones yeah. in F1, IndyCar, those moments, <laughs> those crazy stories uh, and NASCAR, stuff like that that hasn't been told before. That'd be so cool because that would be fun. There's, there is a, we all have stories. We all have things I did. Uh, I won't put it on this podcast, but I'll just say I did a test at a certain major organization in the mid two thousands where I pulled a tab inside the car and it was worth a second. That's all I'm going to say. So (laughs) it was insane. Did it make Um, it to the racetrack though? Is the real, I don't think it did. I don't think it did. We, the, the thing we did, we believe another team had at the time. So that's, that's where I'll leave it. We'll tell that story another time. Um, Formula E, our, our favorite, uh, Bergenian racing series. Um, is officially going to adopt pit stops again with fast charging, which is sort of a revolutionary thing. So we got to just, you know, sort of dive into this just for a second. This was supposed to happen this season in 2023. It didn't, um, Mm -hmm. but it's coming. And this is something the Porsche Motorsport bosses really wanted. I think a lot of people have wanted. And so this will add pit stops for the first time since 2017, 2018, when they used to change cars, essentially. Mm -hmm. It will be labeled as an attack charge stop. Uh, and the way it's understood to happen right now is they'll need to add around 3.85, and I'm going destroy- to I always screw up electric terms, but kilowatts, I believe, in about 25 to 30 seconds, meaning no other additional work can happen while it's recharging. 
Um, and here's the interesting thing. So battery technology has been far behind electric car technology for a long time. It's, it's rapidly catching up, but it's been sort of the bottleneck in the electric car, uh, you know, industry. And, you know, a lot of people are working on it. But one of the things that's interesting about batteries, if you know this from your own iPhones and, and products before the iPhone, really, when they didn't have battery management, is that when you refill a battery that isn't fully depleted, right? It can, it can have loss because it creates memory to thinking it's full at those points and that sort of thing. So one of the things mm -hmm. that they're going to have to consider in all this is sort of how you manage your battery in terms of getting it to the optimal condition to charge. Also, heat. Heat can be a massive detriment when you're trying to charge. Think of your iPhone getting super hot at yeah. times. So that's going to be something they're going to have to deal with. So this is going to be fascinating and a massive technical challenge. So... um you know, we'll, we'll see how this pans out, but they're going to have stops. This is, you know, talk about exciting innovations in motorsport. Um, this is kind of cool. We're in uncharted territory, and this is uh, definitely something that people have never had to do before in racing. So I love it. I, I, I also, it excites me that, you know, I don't, obviously Formula E is kind of leveraging this as a, like you said, an attack charge. Um, would be cool to see if this, provides an opportunity for Formula E to maybe have longer races um, and and actually, you know, have some endurance aspect to it too would be cool. Um, that's <laughs> not really something we've talked about when we've talked about Formula E, but I, I would imagine just, just like NASCAR, you know, taking a Garage 56 to Le Mans, uh, you know, maybe someday Formula E might want to have an endurance uh, race to kind of prove the longevity of their cars. That would be, that would be kind of an interesting uh, uh, goal for that series to have. So an endurance open wheel race, city center, they do like a 24 hour with the lit, you know, the streets lit and you have to jump in out of them. <gasps> this is our entry point to Formula E. Come on, let us in. Awesome. This is Go. such a cool idea, Lid. We need, to, we need to pitch that. Our buddy Jeff Dodds, he'll love it. Yeah, let's do we'll it. Let's like, get back on here. We're going to talk about Formula E endurance racing. Yeah. We're going to be like, look, we love the format thing, but let's start on a Saturday, end on a Sunday, the first ever 24 hour endurance race in a city center. So fans wow. can come in and out. Times Square. We're taking over. Oh, my over. gosh. That would be cool. <laughs> Jeff, we have it figured out. Call us. You know where to get us. <laughs> I want to be in that race. We got to be in that race. We need a money lap team. Um, there we go. One guy who would probably be invited and would destroy us all is Scott Dixon, who oh once again put a clinic on in the IndyCar series to win at Gateway by a margin of 22.23 seconds, only three cars on the lead lap, once again out-strategized, saved fuel, and was able to go faster than everyone doing it. This guy, I, it, he's just, he might be, one, he might be the, one of the top three race car drivers in the world right now in just every facet. Uh, yeah. So in his prime, what a legend. Yeah, yeah, especially, especially in IndyCar. Uh, you just don't see that kind of domination anymore either. You know, in NASCAR, we used to have their stories of, you know, large margin of victories. And obviously NASCAR races are structured differently with stage breaks and, um, you know, overtime stuff. It just seems like in a, such a large field of cars, it just seems like we never have an opportunity to see someone run away. Even though we have had some long, long green flag runs lately, um, gosh, that kind of margin of victory is just huge, you know, and... I think that's more of a reflection on Scott Dixon than it is a reflection on IndyCar racing. You know, IndyCar yeah. racing is as competitive of a series right now as ever. Um, so I think it just tells you what kind of domination that was on 
on Dixon and his Canassi team's effort that weekend. Definitely. He, he's, uh, I think you said it best, that it's an incredibly competitive series that he's just doing an excellent job with, right, you know, in the series right now. Uh, some cool news for IndyCar. This race uh, had strong viewership, over 1.1 million people, and it's now the eighth IndyCar race in 2023 to surpass 1 million average viewers, and this now makes it currently the most watched IndyCar season since 2008 so in 15 years since the merger so 2008 wow would have been when uh Champ Car and the IRL joined back together to make the Indy, the unified IndyCar series once again uh most watched season since then so even with this domination not deterring people from tuning in cool to see great to see growth for IndyCar I love that I haven't yet. I don't. I guess I don't have. I'd have to look at actual numbers to back up this thought. But it just, just from my perspective, it seems like you know you've got F one had this meteoric growth and then it's leveling off. NASCAR is choppy but heading in the right direction. It seems like on viewership, but it also is dependent on the broadcast partner. It seems like NBC delivers maybe a little bit better viewership than Fox. Um, IndyCar is just chugging along. You know, with a steady lineup, it seems like their their yep. popularity and viewership is just incrementally increasing. It does feel that way, and I think you know part of that has been the partnership with NBC. Not to tout once again, I do work for them, but mm-hmm. I do think you know the two of them made a commitment to each other, which has been powerful in terms of putting the Indy Five Hundred on NBC, which where all the other right. races are. You know, it used to be right. split up where all the races would be on. Uh, you know, at what was versus before NBC Sports, and then it was, you know, the Indy 500s on ABC, and then a couple races right. on ESPN. It was mixed up, and now it's just one partner, a lot of races on broadcast television on NBC proper. I think the timing, you know, they do have a lot of races that start at 12 o'clock on Sundays, which is right after an F1 race and right before the NASCAR race, which I always think is a great idea. I love that positioning. Um, on this Sunday, you know, they didn't have a NASCAR race or anything to go up against, so you could watch F1 in the morning. And then you had IndyCar that afternoon. So I thought that, you know, that, that's a key part of it. But, yeah, definitely the partner. So speaking of series uh, that have been on the up and up, I feel like in a lot of ways, uh, the Xfinity series has strong, had strong numbers, had signed that new deal with CW for 2025 on Beyond for seven years. Um, and we did race at Daytona this past weekend, which I came in the race three points below the cut line for the playoffs. Uh, behind Riley Herbst, and as I said earlier in this podcast, I came in with the mindset of this is a cutoff. I wanted to put myself in the position that I felt like I had to win this race to move on to the next mm-hmm. to the playoffs, and I, I I did that because I felt like that was the best way to get me to lock in, as I talked about earlier, to be in the state of mind that I would normally be in the last twenty laps of a super speedway race where I'm trying to win it. And mm-hmm. I wanted to do that from lap one onward because I wanted to go win a state, win stages, and win the race. I didn't win stages; uh, only got stage points in stage two. But I did feel like, and I, I'll even say this: you know, Bubba Wallace got a lot of flack for not talking to us on the pre-race before the race uh, mm-hmm. on Saturday. And I was like, eh, you know, I don't have a problem with that because before my race on Friday, I didn't <laughs> had intros. I don't know it. if you've ever done this. Well, I did an interview, but otherwise, I went and sat by myself, and I stayed alone, and I didn't want to speak to anyone. I didn't Mm. want to be near anyone, and I kept just putting myself in position in my mind of making moves and being in the race car and just you know, constantly playing in my mind the moves I was going to make to really lock in 
And, you know, everyone at Big Machine Racing did a good job, and we found ourselves late in the race in a position to try and win. Uh, Riley Herbst had some issues with the steering box and that sort of thing. And it came down late to one of the weirdest moments I've ever had, which was we had late race restarts. I had the, and so it was me versus Justin Allgaier. But then from that point, I had the two car who is ahead of me in points and absolutely does not want me to win that race. I've got the 11 cars ahead of me in points who absolutely does not want me to win that race. They're behind <laughs> me. I've got the double zero whose teammate, the 98, is now behind me in points, does not want me to win that race. So <laughs> I was in no, the weirdest still, position ever. We usually complain about not having friends in super speedways and nobody helps me, but rarely do you have a position where it's just like, not only do I not have people willing to work with me, I have people who want to work against me. <laughs> Dude, before the race, I go up to Justin Allgaier, uh, and I told Dale Jr. this the next day because Dale had a funny comment on his podcast uh, that I was listened to this week after our conversation where he was like, could you imagine getting into a car and knowing there's two RCR cars, three college cars, and two Stuart Haas racing cars who absolutely do not want to help you nor want you to win this race? <laughs> was, he's like, could you imagine doing that? And I was like, that's the mode I was in. And so I went yeah. up to Justin before qualifying and I said, hey, dude, here's the deal. I got no friends. I know this. Of the 15 competitive cars at the front of this field, 12 of them are just not going to work with me, basically. Uh, if I'm in a position to push you, I'm going to push you if it's the best thing for me, just so you know. You might be mm -hmm. my only friend out there. And sure enough, it came down late, and I was pushing him to the lead, and I was like, oh, this is so ironic. It always works that way. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> nah, you did a um, good job. We came out of there, fourth place finish, puts us 20 points above the cut line. <clears throat> One of the weirdest uh, experiences I've I've ever had in racing. It gave me... I already had a massive respect for the cup drivers who have been in that position from, um, you know, my broadcast side of things. But that, that to me really showed me how weird it was to come down to the finish of a race and not everyone be thinking, how do I get the best finish, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know how many, if I've ever had that in my career. And so it really gave me appreciation for the drivers that have been put in that position, the playoffs, they're thinking about that. Um, so I thought that was really interesting mindset. Yeah, that was pretty. Uh, that was pretty cool. It was fun to watch. Um, just one last thing on the Xfinity series. Uh, this fan Trey Ryan on Twitter <laughs> or X, whatever you want to call it, put out this cool thing, and I've I've been harping on this, and I thought it was just validation for what I've been saying a lot about this series, uh, our season this year. But he put out standings in the Truck Series, the Xfinity series, without stages. We would be seventh right now, uh, fifteen points behind Josh Berry and sixth. So, kind of, kind of validation for our finishes, uh, and also. Ex uh, exposes our lack of, of mid mid race performance. So uh, shout out to Trey Ryan for having a the overhead photo of Kevin Harvick's <laughs> old school two thousands twisted body car in his X profile picture. That's an awesome picture. And thanks Trey for being a big fan of motorsports and NASCAR and paying attention. But I don't care about those point standing scenarios. They're so stupid. So it. Parker, if you did that just for your own PR lap number two to make yourself feel better, that's fine. But stage racing is a strategy. You can't just you can't just put some oh points if there were no playoffs <laughs> scenario. Let's use the old point system. No, it's irrelevant. It doesn't mean anything. So yes, you've done a great job finishing races, uh, but stage so, racing is a strategy. So. Whatever. I don't know. You guys can all, you and and Jeb Burton, and I'm just looking at this list of guys that are really high up in points without the stages. 
can you guys can all go, you know, have a party together and celebrate your top 10 in points positions? Be- thank you. There were no stages, but it means nothing. But so thank I you, Trey Ryan. <laughs> I had an inkling this was going to be your response. And that's why I was so excited. <laughs> that's why you put in. it in just to irritate yes, me. I just wanted okay. you to do that exact thing. You were going to be like, there's no well, reason to bring this up. I fell for it. I took the bait. <laughs> <laughs> um, a series that does have stages, and it's the top of this whole game, the Cup Series, race Saturday night. We talked about it. But a really fascinating race, uh, a race that was compelling from start to finish, but two really, really big accidents. One was uh, Ryan Blaney getting turned by as Ty Gibbs got spun off of turn four with a head-on collision about 180 miles per hour into the outside wall, deflecting the safer barrier to basically the point of it touching the concrete barrier. It, was, uh, it made me physically ill watching it. Um, and then we had the wreck of um, Ryan Priest down the backstretch where he flipped – uh, unbelievable amount of times. The the, yeah. the thing I'll say about that was being on the ground, pit reporting. I don't know if I've ever experienced this. That wreck happens. It's happening. I'm watching on the on our monitor. Then I look up at the big screen, and then as that car comes to rest, you could hear a pin drop in that place full of hundreds of thousands of people. Everyone went silent. Uh, the broadcast went silent, of course, because we all just thought, "Oh no, like this yeah. this could have been the worst thing." And um, thankfully he got out and was uh, released from the hospital recently. And, you know, I don't, we haven't heard much more than that, but my goodness, that was, uh, that was some scary wrecks. Ugh. um, yeah, I, I, uh, actually didn't see the Blaney one live. I saw a replay of it, but I watched the priest wreck live and that was, uh, unbelievable. Um, you know, so there's been so, I mean, obviously at this point it's Wednesday, a lot of people have discussed it, talked about it. Um, priest has, you know, obviously got out, has tweeted that he's coming back. I don't know if that means he's coming back this week or coming back. Um, they, I don't, Stuart house really hasn't said anything. Nobody's really said anything about him. Have they? Yeah, no, they haven't yet. Other than his tweet. So, um, you know, hopefully, yeah, hopefully he's, he is feeling and up in good spirits and healthy enough to come back. Um, but if he's got to take a week or two off, I don't think anybody would blame him for that either. Um, but you know the cars uh it's it's interesting because like and we've had this conversation with someone who won't be named um but it's like you know they finish these wrecks and people nascar sometimes will say oh the car held up well (laughs) and and these are the types of wrecks where you go well i think we're all trying to figure out if that's a good thing or not You know, maybe yeah. maybe the terminology is that you know the car held up well, meaning that certain bars did their jobs and the driver remained stay, safe and contained. Um, but you know the the damage to the car, obviously from the driver's perspective, when it comes time to these big impacts, you want the car to to absorb the energy, um, and and so that the driver can not take such a big hit. You don't want the car to yep. crush. Um, you know, one thing that was a little concerning that was interesting to see was how the, how quickly the roof hatch um, just went out on on Priest's car. It was yep. almost instant. You know, so he he took most of his rolls with no roof hatch in the car, which is just a huge gaping hole right above the driver's head. So you've got scary, a yep. really scary opening there for any kind of intrusion. Um, and to me, it's like, man, I think about how many times 
we flipped these cars or, or, you know, had heavy impacts versus how many times we've actually needed to use a roof hatch. And it makes me wonder if the roof hatch is, is necessary to have. Um, yep. Of course, you know, the way NASCAR stuff works, and I'm glad I don't have to be the one that makes the decision, but about the time we get rid of the roof hatch, somebody will, you know, have a car that is on fire for too long and, and they took too long to get out of the car or something like that. So, um, but yeah, it was uh, definitely an interesting, de- definitely a wild wreck. Um, a wreck that, you know, kids like myself would probably try to recreate that in a, on a diecast car <laughs> and, and make a diecast car, you know, look, look like it did in, in that wreck. So, um, I don't know. It seemed like kind of a heavy conversation. I was going to pivot this into a spoiler diecast, but it seemed like a, uh, <laughs> I was like well, going kind of heavy with it. It seemed a little tacky to do us do a ad read right off of this let's do that we'll do the ad read later <laughs> we'll wait what on are your one. thoughts on these wrecks stay stay tuned for a spoiler diecast stay tuned for the spoiler diecast man i was getting ser- <laughs> i was getting a little too serious right there to just turn around and be like well check out spoiler diecast if you're looking for a ryan blaney uh front crunch <laughs> oh no <laughs> um you know i i think this car is already heavy and i think you've said you said it well like it held up well, but at what, when is that correct? Right. And this is a really tough thing because you're trying to standardize a race car. You're trying to create a car that provides entertainment at a, at a reasonable cost and keep people safe. Um, right. you want to be don't modular. Have... We're trying to yeah. make it to where, you, you know, they're, they're easy to work on and, and easy to, to build new ones and replace them and whatnot. Yeah, and it's it's gonna be a balance. It's gonna be learning, and and you know, there's talk of obviously that the maybe this is generation one, and there's a second generation next gen car that has to come about at some point because we've learned so much in just two years of what could have been better with this car, right? And I think that is a really key part of this is that the teams are not really able to make improvements. You know, if this is right. a race team, as we talked about, that has these issues, they make that improvement they do it themselves whatever it is within the rule book and now you can't really do that so you're at you know it's 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 requiring nascar to have a process which they have instigated from last year obviously with the rear end clip uh adjustments the front end clip adjustments the side intrusion uh mm-hmm. adjustments they made some from the first talladega which was very fast they are moving in real time and acting very quickly so it's just they are going, you know, that's going to be the process we're going to have to get used to is that this is going to happen. NASCAR is going to go to work involving the teams and the manufacturers, and they're all going to make a, an update, and then it's going to be implemented across the field, right? And yep. that's just how it's going to work, and this this is new. So yep. Yep. I think I think it's – we're all very thankful that both those drivers walk away. Um, but, yeah, there's still a lot to do, and there's always going to be. It's a moving t- – you know, I, 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 I hate this term. But it's like it's a moving target, but it is. It's constantly moving target. It's always going to be. You have 200 cars. You have 40 cars. Uh, 36 to 40 cars going 200 miles per hour in a condensed 2.5 mile bowl, uh, with surrounded by walls on both sides. Stuff's going to happen. Yep. <laughs> yep. That is just going to happen and we're never going to know all about it. So it's all for our entertainment. Um, yep. but the race was good, you know, and I think, um, you know, I'll say one last thing. I saw some officials after the race. I tried to go look at the car, uh, not to be sneaky and, and, um, I don't. I want to like say I was snooping around. I was. Right. I just where we leave the garage. I saw that they were unloading the, the NASCAR 
uh, Garage 56 car that was in a NASCAR hauler, and they were going to try to load in the 41 car, take it back to the R&D center and evaluate it, and that's part of the process, right, of, of making improvements. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, okay, maybe I'll find the car here ever, and, and this is as I'm trying to leave. And I didn't, so I just looked around. I didn't see anywhere. I believe they had it sort of covered or in one of the uh, closed garages um, mm-hmm. so people wouldn't do exactly what I was trying to do. Uh, but I did saw, see some officials, and and yeah, everyone looked a little, you know, um, not uh, like a little like you know, just sort of wow, that was that was scary, right? But yeah, the the common I spoke to multiple officials, and the common thought process was, hey, look, you know, we'll now know what to work on, and yeah. we see some things, you know, there's things that can be better, and we'll do it, and it's like okay, yeah. great, and that's the process, so it will happen fast. The race was. Damn good. Uh, Chris Busher getting his third win for RFK on an absolute tear. But I want to, before we get, you know, before we dive into that, he was pushed. And this is where I want to bring you in, Landon, because I think you have, you know, people have talked about it. This isn't a reaction show. We're on Wednesday. But we want to dive deep into something that occurred here that um, was interesting. The mm-hmm. car that pushed him to the win was the number six of Brad Keselowski. Brad Keselowski, under the red flag for the Ryan Priest wreck, did something we've never seen, which was drive his car in circles on the apron uh, under the red flag to, to put out a fire that was within the race car. Yeah. He was not penalized for this. People are angry. Some think it's ingenuity. I say in his case, his other option was to get out of the car. So why not? I'm all for him doing what he did. I think that was actually one of the smarter things I've seen and leave it to Brad who thinks entirely out of the box at all times uh, to come up with something like that. But should he have been allowed to continue racing? No. I okay. think that he should have been he should have been parked based on NASCAR's rule, I guess unless it's changed and then also I, I guess I don't even have the rule in front of me to know, you know, does the rule have NASCAR has a lot of ambiguity typically in the rules that allow for them to just make a judgment call. And that's fine. Um, you know, shoot, being from the e-racer side of things and how we promote events, uh, you understand the the ability, the need to be flexible sometimes in the calls that you make. But um, so I, I can get, I can understand NASCAR's perspective on it. But I, in my experience with that rule, we, you know, we we used to still drive our cars under red flag conditions. Um, you know, they would NASCAR back before the damage vehicle policy that NASCAR would display the red flag and it wasn't necessarily something that anybody liked, but you would still drive to pit road if you had damage or, um, if you knew you needed to pit, you would just drive to pit road and serve the red flag under pit road, but maybe get, you know, your team a chance to look at the car or prepare their tools, even though nobody could touch the car they would see the car up close as opposed to parking on the backstretch or parking wherever. Um, when NASCAR came out with the damaged vehicle policy, they made a concerted effort in, in their rules and their new policies to say um, there is no driving under red flag. Red flag means red flag. Um, it's for the safety of our track workers. Um, it's for the efficiency to be able to get the track cleaned up. Um, we don't need to be looking for cars that are still moving, you know, safety of the drivers that could be injured. Um, so it, it, that, that to the point that NASCAR actually, you know, wrote this new rule that said, you know, we could, we could park you, um, for violating this. And, 
Um, and so people did get parked. <laughs> um, oh, I got that? parked. I yeah. got parked once. Um, I don't remember who got parked. I do feel like someone parked at a Talladega um, uh, one time, but I got parked at Indy for basically doing exactly what I used to do, and I was a complete unforced error on my part. I pulled up to pit road um, under red thinking I was preparing my team to fix a damaged car. Um, didn't It just blew right past me that the DVP did not allow for that and NASCAR parked me for it. It was the end of my race. Um, so, and they were very, very clear with me at the time that, sorry, red flag is red flag. That's a new damage vehicle policy. So when I saw this, you know, the stuff on Twitter of Brad driving in a circle to, you know, essentially fix his own car for himself, it was just like, obvious to me that he should be parked i didn't really know like it just it i don't know like i i'm with you on the 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 creativity and the ingenuity on brad and he is always thinking and he's got you know his, his he's very good for that um and i even kind of i'm with you parker on the idea of like his the you know the game theory around it all where it's like okay well i can let my car catch on fire and i have to get out or um, I can make this attempt to put the fire out by driving in a circle, and what's the worst? You know, the worst case scenario is they park me for it. Um, so I guess if you're Brad, Brad made the right decision. Um, yeah. To me, it's NASCAR that should have parked him for it. Um, you know, NASCAR. There's a lot going on, and maybe NASCAR didn't see it happen in real time, but at some point, you know, they put it on a broadcast of what happened. So, um, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, that's just where I was, that was kind of my thought on it, but I just wanted to give some background on my understanding to the rule. I, I think Josh might have the rule if he can post it in our chat or something, but, <laughs> um, you know, and, and actually, even if I, I guess I, I'd love to see the rule and maybe read read the the specifics of the rule here, um, <clears throat> but let's see, who here's the, uh, here's the rule, unless otherwise determined by the series managing director repairs or service of any nature, or refueling. What am I sorry? The chat is messed up here. Or refueling will not be permitted when the red flag. Stop typing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> or refueling will not be permitted when the race is halted due to a red flag. All work must stop on any vehicle on pit road. Um, work must not be resumed. All work must stop on any vehicle on pit road and garage area. When red flag is displayed. So that doesn't actually read the part that I'm thinking of where we weren't allowed to where move. move the car at all. Um, oh, yeah, the red flag signifies that practice qualifying a race must be stopped immediately regardless of the position of vehicles on the racetrack. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It, 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 it uh, obviously NASCAR holds in their purview to still do whatever they want. Um, yep. So it, it just, it's interesting that, you know, when the DVP was in, uh, first put in, NASCAR made it clear to us drivers that if you do not adhere to a red flag, you will get parked. And they did park cars because of it. Myself was one of them. Um, so um, I think that part might be in the DVP section of the rules. But um, is interesting scenario. Now, from a promoter's perspective uh, and a race fan perspective, I'm glad Brad wasn't parked because um, I wanted to you know, watch him uh, I wanted to to watch him race for the win. He was actually my pick to win, so I'm glad that, that he was still in the race. Right. I'm glad he didn't get parked. I'm glad that he was safe and his car didn't burn down. Um, but 
you know, I don't know. He probably should have been parked. <laughs> and I, I do agree. I'm with you because I just find it odd. Um, but it is what it is. I think I had the wrong caution, though. I think his caution, the caution he did that was the one with the Rekoff 4 where all the cars had flat tires. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was actually something interesting that I haven't seen many people talk about. But this was really fascinating because I was on pit road and I'm on, you know, doing the broadcast and I'm watching this all go down. And I'm listening to Kyle Larson's radio, which I'm sure some fan has already found his in-car because he even references that his in-car is going to sound like Joe Logano's from Pocono yelling at the, <laughs> the track. Uh, you know, the the safety workers to, to push his car. But what was fascinating was it was about a 10-minute affair of him and Cliff Daniels trying, and the, the five team trying to describe to Kyle what to do because he had four flat tires, but the car was pretty much good. And so they were trying, it was almost like an endurance race. They're like, all right, Kyle, tell them there is a... Uh, a tow hook on the front left of the car to pull that and tow the car from the front, not from the rear. And like Kyle's shouting at them, I guess. And then he'd keep on the radio and be like, they won't listen. Or like, what are they doing? What are they doing? <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like, he's like, he's like, okay, hold on, hold on. And then you, you go silent for a while. And then he comes back. He's like, all right, I'm going to sound like Logano on my, uh, on the in-car here. <laughs> it was, it was pretty interesting stuff, but he eventually got pushed back around. They end up losing two laps. I want to say, um, and so he actually uh, still had a car fast enough to run the lead draft, though, late in the race and was trying to help the nine car there. So, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunate because what occurred there that was interesting was in this next gen era, some, next gen era something we have uh, become accustomed to is when cars spin out and blow the tires, they can't drive back. Well, there were so many cars that had simply just flat tires. NASCAR red flagged the race to line up all the um, – safety trucks to push them or tow them because there's so many and i have to think they everyone looked at that and thought okay there's going to be a better way to do this soon because it was it was ridiculous it was anarchy um you know it probably removed the five from having to finish because they just couldn't get towed in time and that sort of stuff yep. and and with a car that could have most definitely driven if it had tires uh you know we got to figure this out so i think the sport has to look at that because if you want to keep doing this racing, where there's going to be wrecks and stock car racing, like the idea of stock car racing up. is, yeah, well, the idea of stock car racing is like it is a car that dr- you you drive it through the garage. It, you know, if we do practices the old fashioned way, you go in and out of the garage, you back the race car up in reverse. There's no race cars in the world that allow <laughs> themselves to use reverse ever. Like, <laughs> well, stock car racing is unique in that that that, that form. So. You know, for a car to be so like in such a position that it can't drive back because it's flat tires is just I I don't like that. Uh, thinking of a race car with flat tires that just can't sitting there with four flat tires that is a what am I trying to say like a sitting duck or it's high centered basically mm-hmm. sitting on flat tires makes me think of my son's collection of die casts where he's peeled all the rubber tires off the cars and they're sitting on the ground. Speaking of die cast. <laughs> you need to check out spoiler diecast. I'm finally getting this ad read in and it's on a little bit lighter note than the last one with <laughs> one of the largest inventories in the industry. They have over 800 unique products currently in stock, including diecast and apparel offerings for NASCAR, dirt sprint cars, IndyCar, and F1. And with their pre-order system in place, you can be sure to get your hands on the latest diecast releases without all without the long wait at spoilerdiecast.com. What's even better, Parker, all, all, all orders ship same or next day. That's pretty darn good. And they offer free shipping on orders over $20. Plus, use promo code MONEYLAP to receive free shipping and 5% off all orders. That's right, 5% off, the most aggressive offer in the racing industry, I think. Don't wait. 
head to spoilerdiecast.com today and get your racing fix. And before I finish this, we have been talking about doing some kind of cool new promo with Spoiler Diecast. I think we're nailing it, um, drilling down on it. Might have something to do with me signing some diecasts, some diecasts of my own that are on there. I don't know if we're going to like throw them in for free, do giveaways. Maybe it's if you buy a certain amount on spoilerdiecast.com that you can get um, a signed diecast of mine. So um, keep an eye on the pod here over the next couple weeks and spoilerdiecast.com because we're going to be doing a pretty cool promotion there. I love it. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. And there's some other news that came out this weekend. Uh, Kurt Busch officially announcing that he is retiring um, from – uh, NASCAR Cup Series competition. As many know, last year at Pocono had that wreck in qualifying and uh, had concussion symptoms since then and has not been in race car since and now officially announced retiring. Just want to give a shout out to the 2004 Cup Series champion, an awesome teammate to me, a good friend to me over the years, um, someone that has given me great advice and been a, a helping hand at times in my career. You can also, if you want, Go to spoilerdiecast.com and buy a many Kurt Busch uh, <laughs> diecasts. So on there, I just checked. There's plenty on there. Go check them out. There will be no others. So this those will be they... the final if you're a big Kurt Busch fan. This is when they like sell out, though. They, they <laughs> it's like he announces his announce, or he announces <laughs> his uh, retirement, and the Kurt Busch diecasts are gonna get are gonna go hot. So uh, yeah, if you've been thinking about getting something, I'd I'd buy a Kurt Busch diecast right now. Not to be morbid once again, but it's kind of like an artist when they pass away <laughs> yeah. there are you know there won't be any more art yeah, made yeah, there, there you won't go. be any more die casts for Kurt Busch yep. so go get those they're limited uh you know limited time only or or what, what am I trying to say mm. limited quantity um <laughs> hey what's the thing what's the three things in racing you're not supposed to mess with according to the rules the three holy <laughs> like in NASCAR holy items in NASCAR in NASCAR yeah. Tires, spoilers, and engines. So the 98 team, Ty Majeski, had an unbelievable amount of speed at the Richmond race earlier this year. Won the race, was about half a second faster in the field. They had a tire and wheel taken away at Milwaukee uh, and have now subsequently been penalized uh, where they received points penalties and the crew chief being suspended for four races. What do you think they did? <laughs> um, usually when a tire is confiscated and a penalty comes after, it means you were trying to leak air out of your tires. And for those of you that don't know or, or you're like, what in the world is he talking about? In a race car, when the tires get hot, they build air pressure. Eventually, tires get so much air in them that they start losing grip. There's, you know, there's middle ground. There's not enough air, you don't have good grip. You want the right amount of air and the right temperature to have the right amount of grip. Well, it's part of tire wear over the course of a long run is the tire gets so hot, it builds too much air pressure, it loses grip. Believe it or not, if you could drill a hole in the side of your tire, a tiny little hole, not a big one, a tiny little hole in the side of your tire or in the valve stem, you could make it leak a little bit. If you could control the amount of air that leaks out that is equal to the amount of air that's building up at, a, at you know 200 degrees or 250 degree tire temperature, um, you would actually be the fastest car in the field by at least a half a second at a place like Richmond. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> 
and um and when the very next race is another flat short track like milwaukee if you got away with it at richmond i would definitely take it to milwaukee oh wait no he was fast at orp too oh that's right yeah yeah yep. oh weird that's another short track huh huh yeah it's so, funny how that works so um nascar doesn't like it when you do that we don't allow nope. bleeders there actually is um a in some racing series it's kind of rare nowadays but i've raced with them before in my career um there is a tool that you can put in the wheels of your tire you know in the wheels of your race car um they're called bleeders and it's a little spring-loaded thing that you can tighten the spring or loosen the spring and you can set it to the air pressure that, that sort of the maximum air pressure that you want so if if you only want that tire to ever have 25 pounds of air pressure in it you set the bleeder to be able to pop off at 25 pounds and so when the tires get above 25 pounds it just pushes that spring up and lets air out of the tire and it you know maintains the tire pressure at 25 pounds that's a legal thing in a lot of racing that's a real thing but since that's illegal in nascar to run bleeders um, people over the years have been pretty creative on how to bleed air and tires to the extent of teams literally poking holes in their tires this has yep. happened they Many drill times. with tiny little drill bits um, or you know with some kind of um, tool that they've made where they knew the di exact diameter of the tool that they needed they've poked holes in their tires um, they've also there's been really creative little bleeders that have been built into valve stems um so that's kind of a cool little trick i think front row actually got busted with some valve stem bleeders <laughs> at pocono several years ago yep yep um and actually not to go down a rabbit hole but the the funny excuse from front row at the time was that they had no idea that they had valve stem bleeders that they had bought the those tire tools from another race team like a larger race team because you know small teams and front row was a you know a growing small team at the time you know small race teams buy old tools from big race teams all the time right they buy their pit boxes they buy all their old stuff when those big teams build new equipment so front row was saying hey we just bought all this equipment from this big team um we had no idea that all these valve stems were illegal um <laughs> so that was kind of an interesting one who knows if they're telling the truth or not but i could i would believe it because that was a pretty big fine that they had to pay i think that was well into six figures um i think that it's possible what was going on here um in the 98 truck had something to do with the valve stems you know there's instead of having bleeders or you know some kind of actual custom-made device you could you could actually back off the the core of the valve stem to where it just pisses air just a little bit and then put the cap on and they use the cap to keep the core inside the valve stem so it doesn't come out completely and I'll just allow that little air hissing out um to to manage the tire pressure the way that you want it to be managed so and just hope um, well and, and hope there's no red flags and hope there's no red flag. Yeah, you get a red flag, you get a 30-minute red flag, and that thing's hissing air out. Um, <laughs> you're in trouble. So You ever see? Uh, I think I'm, that was a – what was that? Was that 2006? Was it – someone was at Martinsville, and there was a red flag. And they had a flat tire, tire red flag. flag. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's like everyone's like, well, that's obvious. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, so one another nugget that's kind of interesting about this was the 98 truck's tire was confiscated – before the weekend started right oh like, i didn't know that yes i'm like oh. this this i think 
was this not didn't this happen early like on friday or saturday now now you make me question myself yes i don't okay. know yes okay getting validation here from josh this this happened before the race like before so what what that tells me there nascar is very smart they're great officiate they're they're great at officiating they're these guys are professionals they know what to look for okay but they don't just randomly go take people's tires sometimes i mean they do they they, that's one of their regular checks they they do random checks but it's just funny that this i i would imagine i would question if this actually was a random check or if they got tipped off by someone. <laughs> um, because race teams do not have very good, um, what would you say, jail yard uh, <laughs> IP. They don't, uh, they're not good at keeping IP. They're not good at, uh, they're not, they, they don't, uh, there is no honor amongst thieves, I think is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> and they rat each other out all the time. Yep. It is. It, in fact, if it would be, if I never ever wanted to be a NASCAR race director in my career, that's totally fine. But I would at least want to do it for just long enough to watch all the race teams coming in and out of my office in the trailer saying, hey, you need to take a look at the spoiler on the car. You need to take a look at the tires on the 98. And then, and then the 98 team coming in and telling me that I need to look at the ignition box on the other guy. And then somebody else coming in and telling me that somebody's cheating their body work. I can only imagine how much these officials get. Um, and I know this also because I've been one of those guys that's walked into the official trailer and said, hey, have, uh, you know, have you ever thought about looking at the track bars on those so-and-so cars? <laughs> <laughs> so it is all politics. Um, oh, yeah. But it is interesting that, uh, that the 98 team got busted with this. I think the real question, Parker, I'll hand this off to you because I've been talking for 10 minutes now, is... They got five playoff points taken away, a 75-point penalty, but they already have a win, right? Like, yeah, so they still they've advance. Adv- they've advanced to the next round, and NASCAR, rightfully so, they don't retroactively take wins away or things like that. So um, unless they found some real evidence that that was being done at, the, at a race. So they're not retroactively taking anything away. So they still get to advance to the next round. They give a 75-point penalty, which, like, I guess that doesn't really mean anything because they're advanced to the next round. What's there's, There is a monetary penalty, $25,000, and the crew chief suspended for four weeks. But what's really the penalty here? I think the biggest penalty is that if they had this advantage, it's gone. <laughs> That's a good point. He got caught too early. That's a really good point. Uh, that's that is the biggest penalty. That's a really good point. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. a... Uh, you mean the fastest truck in the series, basically, at these short tracks, was suddenly yeah. found with this, and now uh, maybe they won't be so fast. Yeah, so I'd I mean, say that's, that's a, the biggest penalty. That's a really good point. <laughs> oh, man. Um, it, there is also, you know, they it does, NASCAR does not like it. The reason, going all the way back to the start of this conversation, NASCAR does not like it when you mess with tires, spoilers, and engines. No, um, holy that is just, It's funny because it it's you know the tires they don't want to mess with the tires the tires I totally understand because you know they have a tire partner in Goodyear right so there's this there's there's a sponsorship aspect to this too right not to mention it's a spec tire everybody has to run the same tire they don't want you manipulating them but like you just can't have people messing with tires when you have a huge corporation investing in the sport. Um, 
putting their name on the line to give us, not give us, they sell us tires, but, um, you know, somebody's got to buy tires anyways. But I, I can see that being one aspect of why it's just like, don't mess with the tires. <laughs> we don't need this CEO. We don't need some, we don't need this running all the way up the Goodyear flagpole that people are manipulating their tires or the tires aren't good enough. Yeah. Or there was a tire failure, um, because somebody did something to the tires and now Goodyear, um, you know, you just don't, it, it, you you do have to be mindful of our partners with the tires. So NASCAR doesn't like us messing with tires. Spoilers and engines, NASCAR doesn't like being messed with because it's just like those are such big ticket items that it's like, hey, if you cheat those, you're cheating, right? Yep. We understand yep. well, that there's no fuel. You're missing fuel. Oh, there. fuel's a big it's, one too. Yeah, tires, engines, fuel. Tire <clears> tires, engines, fuel. fuel. Spoilers. Yeah, you just don't mess. If with you them. don't mess with them. You know, like the rule book can be ambiguous at times and teams are, are creative and we all love it. And NASCAR will rewrite rules and they'll slap your hands or they'll even give you a little fine. But like, man, tires, engines, fuel and spoilers, they're just things that if you mess with those, you are cheating. Yep. <laughs> well, we'll see what uh, the ramifications are. Uh, in the truck series also announced today, August 30th, that Matt DiBenedetto, the only name said uh, – incorrectly more often than Shane Van Gisbergen or Kligerman, <laughs> uh, will not be returning to the Truck Series uh, team, Rackley War, in 2024. So he's moving on to something else. We'll see where that goes. Um, in IMSA, the Corvette Racing won over Vassar Sullivan Lexus in closing the gap in the GTD Pro Series to 169 points. A win earns 350 points and second gets 320, so two more races in the season. They need a little bit more to get uh, within striking distance of Vassar Sullivan, um, but we'll see about that battle going down there between Lexus and Corvette. And then uh, something else that popped up this week, the superstar racing experience, possibly going to Saudi Arabia. <laughs> wow. <laughs> we'll see. I don't know. You know, there's Don, been, it's, yeah. that's been kind of a rumor for a while, not just SRX, but there's been a rumor of, of a Saudi, you know, scenario whether it's with the rta or through srx or something there's some kind of uh that's been a conversation for a while so it's you know obviously it was a little more hot and heavy when uh the team owners agreement with nascar was in full force we haven't heard much about that lately yep. um in, in the teams and their agreement with nascar with the extending the charters um and the new tv deal and whatnot makes me think that maybe there's a new TV deal probably done Imminent. soon or the charter agreement done completed soon because there just haven't been a lot of contentious rumors. This time last year, there was just a lot of contention there and there was leaks going out in the press and you know people yep. trying to use the media as leverage. Um, and so you heard some stuff about that. Now now we're hearing SRX um, rumored uh, to be Saudi Arabia. Yeah, well, it's one of those situations, right, where the silence is, is deafening. If, if it's not being discussed, most likely <laughs> it means it's going well. Um, and I, I, from what I understand, things are going well. I'm not going to just talk about rumors, though. It's not what we do here on the Money Lap. Uh, but you are correct. You know, since we've seen the what happened with Live Golf and the PGA, I think all sports have been on notice of what's happened there. And motorsports is not immune to being a thing that I believe that Saudi Arabia – and the massive, the billions and billions that they have to spend in in trying to connect that country with sports and high level sports to bring attention to them um, is you know motorsports is not immune to that. So we'll see what happens there. Um, Donald Hawk, who 
is the was he the head of SRX? I can't remember his yep. title there. Of SRX. He ha- yeah, he had a statement basically just saying everyone take a deep breath, uh, you know, about international event possibilities and we'll see. We'll see what happens with SRX. They could be the perfect thing to sort of do that with. Um some other stuff that showed up this on the social media sphere this week I thought was cool was NASCAR Man, who's one of my favorite follows for just cool stuff, mm-hmm. uh, put together this thing that was basically the U.S. television average number of viewers for auto racing events so far in 2023 with the Daytona 500 and the Indianapolis 500 and the Chicago Street Race leading the list. But it's really fascinating to see where F1 ranks, where the Xfinity Series is, uh, IndyCar, obviously, and it's just – it's really – it's a fascinating look, color-coded. It's sort of how many people are watching these races and how much of motorsports gets well into the millions of viewers um, and, you know, how it's doing basically across the board. So I think it's, it's been – it was a fascinating look. I don't know if there's anything really else to take from it. Um, Cup has I, 27 of the first 28 slots, yeah. I guess. So that shows the power of the NASCAR Cup Series right now. Uh, but, yeah, I think it's fascinating. It's, I think where's the first F1 one? It's the Miami GP maybe. Um and it's 30th, 30th. the first yeah. yeah 30th so mm, i don't know you I'm know, still looking that, for those 50 million f1 <laughs> fans that uh christian horner talks about well i do, i think that it just remind it's a it's a friendly reminder of two things to me um and and they're both maybe uh i don't want to say contradictory of each other but like it's a reminder that nascar is freaking huge right yes. like it's just a reminder that the cup series is you want to you want to win motorsports in the US you got to beat the NASCAR Cup series and formula 1 i don't think has done that or is anywhere close to it yep. uh, but on the flip side i think it is a fair you know it's always good to remember that we have different bubbles that we live in right and formula 1 definitely had some massive interest and still has massive interest in it, but it's very much on social media and it's through Netflix and there's still real eyeballs and there might be 50 million new formula one fans, but they're sure as hell aren't watching it live on ESPN. (laughs) Well said. And actually, um, you know, they, they like, so there was a, a article that came out this week that once again said F1 numbers, you know, might be sliding or we've hit the top already. And you had a ton of quotes from CEOs and CMOs that are invested in the sport now uh, saying they think that's preposterous and it has a lot of room to grow. And I don't disagree. I think it has a lot of room to grow. I think, I think motorsports in America has a lot of room to grow, a massive amount of room to grow. Uh, I say that all the time because, you know, what is it? Two years ago, 16 and a half million people watched the Indy 500, the Coca-Cola 600 and the Monaco Grand Prix on the same day. But only four and a half of those 16.5 watched all three. So, mm-hmm. hey, to me, that's up. You know, there's possible upside out there. Those are people yeah. that are amongst that group. There is 12 million people that are just choosing not to watch all three. So what do right. we got to do across the board there, right? To yep. me, that's what I take from this. Um, they also wanted to say F1 TV being their streaming package could skew the numbers. I would be shocked. I mean, literally eat a shoe shocked if that's <laughs> more than 200,000 people. On F1 TV. Um, <laughs> just knowing what I know about the streaming world and the numbers and knowing intimately some F1 TV numbers, I would be shocked. Um, mm-hmm. So, hey, okay, call it 350,000. It's still not a massive change to what they, you know, where they would be. Yep. Um, so we'll see there. Uh, before we move on from this episode, because it's been a long one, we've gone through a lot. 
We do have the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs starting this weekend um, at Darlington, and therefore we have put together some grids in our predictions. So did you put one together? Uh, yeah, I kind of threw one together. I don't know if I will be as lights out with my grid as I was with my picks this weekend because <laughs> I think out of the four uh, motorsports races, I think Cup, Trucks, IndyCar, and F1, I picked three winners and had a second-place finish. So that was pretty um, I'm not sure what that would pay in a parlay or if I would have put that money on DraftKings and some kind of whatever the groups. Um, but I have Stenhouse, Wallace, McDowell, Harvick going out in the first round. Mm. Um, Kazowski, so I only have one different. Go ahead. Uh, Keselowski, Reddick, Blaney, Chastain going out in the second round. Logano, Bell, Bush, Busher going out in the third round. And then in Phoenix, I've got Truex, Larson, Byron, Hamlin racing for it. Hamlin takes the win um, mm. for the championship. All right. So we're actually pretty close, but I've got some some big differences. So here's mine. So the round of 16, the first round, knockouts, Stenhouse, Chastain, mm. McDowell, Harvick. I just don't believe the one team has been bringing the speed they need. I I believe in the team to execute, but the, I don't know. They just haven't looked like the team that went and dominated Nashville. Um, round The second round, I got Reddick, Blaney, Wallace, Logano exiting. Bad round for Penske. Um, the 22 team has told me pretty simply they lack speed and they're not sure where to find it right now. And so if they lack it, I'm assuming the 12 is going to lack it. That's not going to work for them. The 45 team has just been unbelievable, uh, in their own words at being able to find ways to lose races. So (laughs) I, I just don't know if they can make it to that second round like that. And then Bubba Wallace, uh, I, think you know i mean that he's the x factor to me i think he makes it easily through the first round because of kansas but i don't know about making it to the second round the third one keselowski bell busher larson out see you later uh just don't think they make it through either on speed or playoff points or just execution and then my round my championship for martin truex he's definitely getting there kyle bush i got the 18 making it because this guy is motivated to make this happen William Byron, of course, has been one of the best cars all year, and Denny Hamlin. And, of course, I have Denny Hamlin as my 2023 champion because it's always his year till it isn't. And I've been <laughs> saying that for probably, I don't know, maybe since I got into the TV world. <laughs> so, Denny, I'm imploring you for one time, one time, put it all together. I know you can get to Phoenix. I know you can win there. And go get that championship and make me look smart for once. Denny, you got this. Chris Gabehart, the 11 team, this is the time. Denny, now or never, let's make it happen. Denny is, you know, Denny does really, really well when he's under contract pressure. Mm. Um, this could be it. I know, but he probably won't be under contract pressure by the time we get to the championship. Oh, I need, well, did we, we like to say this up? I well, no, he likes my... to say he needs chaos. He likes chaos to... around he him. He does love chaos. He does well with chaos. He does well with um, chaos. He creates chaos for himself so that he does mm-hmm. well in chaos. So I might, uh, what I'm thinking you, is, call me. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm thinking is we go, I'm going to go up to him uh, and have like a chaos meter throughout the playoffs. Be like, all right, what chaos are we at? What cha- how are we looking? What chaos? <laughs> yeah, yeah. If going on? chaos, then we're picking him. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, a couple nuggets on that now that you've talked. Uh, we are pretty similar. Um, I'm not as bullish on Bush. I think that I do think that Kyle 
could will himself into the final four. I'm with you on that. They just, I feel like they're going to have to do with no mistakes. Um, yep. But speaking of willing themselves, I saw your pick on Chastain in the, going out in the first round, but I feel like Ross is capable of willing himself at least to the second round. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of wanted to take McDowell to the second round, but I don't, you know, I, I, that's, that's tough. Wait, actually, which round is the Roval in? Is second it in the, it's in the second round? Yeah. I'm pretty sure, right? It's the second Man, round. Yeah, because you I got, it is you got Darlington, round. Kansas, Bristol. Man, and if then, McDowell yeah. could make it to the second round, then he could make it to the third round. He could. He could. You know, I, and he, trust you know me, they know it. thinking that. Oh, they right? know it. I spoke so, to the team on, on Saturday, and they had an unfortunate deal going on that weekend. Um, but they could. I mean, they, I shouldn't have knocked him out in the first round. But if you're making multiple. I was, I was lazy with that one. If you're a fan out there that's making multiple grids right now, and I don't know where, you know, maybe it's in your fantasy league with your buddies or DraftKings or whatever, if you're trying to get serious about it. If you have a grid with McDowell going out in the first round, that's fine. If you make another grid where you want to move McDowell through, I think you put McDowell in the round of eight. I like that one. I go. I think he either sure. does it or he doesn't. You know what I mean? Like I think. And you know either... what? Hold on. If he makes the round of eight, I say he gets the championship four. <laughs> Where are we going here? I think if he gets the championship four, he wins five championships in a row. (laughs) I think if you get that team to the round to the the round of eight, they are guaranteed the championship four because it will just the that it's written. It's written in the stars at that point. Well, here's the thing that you don't like. This is the stuff that this is the stuff that happens that you don't think about and and I'm I, I, I can't say this factually, it's just other than experience and then also incentives, but like he may if he makes it to the round of eight. Right, I'm looking at my round of eight right now. I've got Logano, Bell, Busher, but okay, hang on. I've got Truex, Larson. Let me say this a different way. <laughs> my round of eight, but I'm going to put McDowell in. I'm looking at Toyota, Chevy, Chevy, Toyota, Toyota, Chevy, Ford, Ford. Yep. So if if McDowell can get himself to the round of eight, he will be one of two Fords. Right on my bracket. Mm-hmm. So if he goes that far, now you have the full force of Roush Yates Ford performance behind you there. You know, that car just by, if they could will themselves that far, will get more help. Maybe will it do anything? Will will it matter? I don't know. (laughs) But you know, out of the, however many 10, 12 engines that Roush Yates delivers every single week to the racetrack, you know that that 34 car will be getting the best one at that point mm-hmm. or, or at least the second best one. Well, it is an interesting thought. It will be see, we'll see how smart we are. Uh, we do have one more person who wants to talk about their bracket. That is producer Josh. Josh, come on in here. What do you got? So I, um, Landon and I have round of 16 identical. We think McDowell, Stenhouse, Harvick, Wallace, mm-hmm. remove them round of 16, not going through. We start to differentiate on the round of 12 um, with me taking Kozlowski over Logano. I think right now RFK is too hot to say that Logano is going to advance past round of 12. I think Kozlowski's got it all sorted. He's been doing really well, especially with Talladega in that round and how RFK handled Daytona. I think that's a really good showing for what we can expect for them on that track. You move into the round of eight, I take... Byron, Hamlin, Busher, and Bush. I 
don't know why. I just feel like it's going to be four different teams are going to be battling for the championship at the end. And I'm the only one who's going to take not Hamlin for the championship. I put Byron in there because he won Phoenix earlier this year. I he, love that. He already has it all sorted. He knows what he needs to do. And I think Byron's going to be your champion for the uh, 2023 Cup Series. Did I not pick, pick Wy William Byron way early? You, this might have even before we published a single podcast. When we recorded like five podcasts and we didn't even put them yeah. out in the public. Yep. Didn't I say... I think I said something about William. I love that pick. That's a really good one. I think one. you you called him the champ way back in the early in the year. I think when he won I, Phoenix or something when we were doing those test pods. Josh, so, yeah. that's a great that's a great pick, and I think you're. I think that William Byron could surprise a lot of people this year. He's been so good. I'm with you on that. I'm with you. People, yeah, uh, they just don't. They, I don't know. We always overlook him, but you know, I, I don't know. I want to be fair, like. You know, Martin Truex, I almost just said Ryan Truex. Martin Truex <laughs> just won the regular season championship. He's been just lights out. Denny has been on whatever Denny is on right now. Um, he's dependable. He's on chaos, like just chaos <laughs> mode. I feel like um, if you're gonna if you're gonna take Truex and Hamblin, you gotta drop Bush from my bracket. I don't I mean of anyone I would say you drop Bush. He's just been really, he was really good early on in the season on those tracks like Fontana. He won. Um, he just seems to be able to get more out of the car and be in the right position at the think, right time. I, I think he's just conserving energy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he's <laughs> he's just been conserving the energy a little bit to, uh, to bring it full force in the playoffs. So you just watch. Randall oh, Burnett and those guys are going to put together. Uh, guys, that was fun. Let's see how smart we are. I think that's it for the pod. Thanks for joining us with your picks, Josh, producer Josh. Uh, check out themoneylap.com. We'll see you next week. Peace. Thank you so much for listening to The Money Lap. Please subscribe and review us on your platform of choice. And be sure to join our newsletter for the best five minutes in motorsports delivered directly to your email inbox every Tuesday and Thursday. And you know what? We love bringing you all this content for free. So what do we ask for? simply for you to subscribe and to let us know every single thing we are doing wrong. If you want to leave us those sorts of opinions, please go over to YouTube, subscribe there, and leave us comments in the comment sections below the videos. We might just respond. We might put you on the next podcast. Most of all, we just love the feedback, even when it's really mean. Thank you for listening.